0: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, community builder at Strong Towns. And welcome to one of four special episodes of the Strong Towns podcast, where we'll interview spokespeople from the four cities and towns who've advanced to the final four of our Strongest Town Contest. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Strongest Town Contest, it's an annual contest we do at Strong Towns where our members, listeners, and readers are invited to enter their city or town in a bracket-based competition designed to spotlight communities from around the world that are building financial resilience at the local level, and actively embodying the Strong Town's approach to economic growth and development. We started with 16 cities and towns. Now we're down to four Guthrie, Oklahoma, Pensacola, Florida, Safety Harbor, Florida, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In this episode, I chat with Quint Studer, who's representing Pensacola, Florida. You're going to learn about the current projects Pensacola is working on to make the best use of its existing infrastructure how it encourages local business creation. Plus, Quint answers a question from a Strong Towns member about how Pensacola encourages infill development. And most important, after listening to this episode, if you think Pensacola should advance to the final round, cast your vote at strongtowns.org strongesttown by noon Central Time on Friday, April 5th. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy. Hey there, Quint. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast. Yes. Thanks so much for joining and congratulations on Pensacola advancing to the final four of the strongest town contest. How are you all feeling in Pensacola?
1: Well, I think we're feeling great because it's sort of like being looking at the rest of the cities and just being so pleased to be in (laughs) the same same conversation with many great communities that are working
0: so hard. That's right. We've had some, some wonderful applicants, lots of great towns advancing as well. Including Pensacola. So, Quint, thinking back on these past few weeks of the contest, listeners have had a wonderful opportunity to learn more about Pensacola and all the great work you guys are doing to strengthen the town. Y'all submitted a great application where you talked about, you know, the increased quality of life among your citizens and y'all's focus of creating more local jobs. A great photo essay last week where you discussed how Pensacola is fostering this wonderful culture of entrepreneurship. And Quint, now listeners get to hear from the source about the work that Pensacola is doing to become financially resilient. Quint, to get us started, could you give us a brief description of Pensacola? Help give listeners a, a mental image of what this place looks like. Yeah, I think for people that aren't aware of us, we're in the panhandle of Florida,
1: which is truly we're closer to Mobile, Alabama than any okay. other city. It's very much a southern city. It's been dominated over the years by tourism at Pensacola Beach, which is about five or six miles south of Pensacola over two bridges. And because Pensacola Beach is beautiful white beaches and blue water, many people, when I traveled the country speaking in health care, would say, I've been to Pensacola, but they'd come to Pensacola Beach. Hmm. And when I would tell them about some of the challenges in the city of Pensacola, they were surprised because they they somehow didn't realize that there's, there's a community. So we're close to Pensacola Beach, very dependent over the years on tourism, and we're a Navy town. We're very pleased to be a Navy town, but that's also like anything with any positive thing. There's some unintended consequences, which means you're very dependent on the military spending, but you're also... Have The good news is we have a large group of retirees from the Navy, but also they're on fixed income. So sometimes getting things um, supported financially and so on or change is a little bit difficult. Somebody told me just last week there's two things people hate, change and not changing. Mm. And that's sort of where we're at. It's a town that at one time was around 60,000. Um, I'd say over the years have started losing population, got down right around 50,000, about 20% decrease, and the county also went from about 312,000 to, for the first time in many years, less than 300,000 about 10 years ago. We have a, um, about 37% of our population is minorities, and we basically are the second poorest large county for many years in the state of Florida. So it's been an area that I think has faced generational poverty and pretty much had an absolute dead downtown where people actually that work downtown were told to leave by five o'clock just because of safety reasons. So that's sort of what we looked like um, 15 years ago. Like many towns that Chuck talks about is, you know, boarded up downtown, people weren't coming down there anymore and so on.
0: Yeah. And listeners, as I'm sure you've read in the first application that Pensacola submitted, Quinn and his peers are doing some wonderful projects to help revitalize downtown, help people believe in it again, hanging out after 5 p.m. to enjoy a drink or mm-hmm. see a show. Quint, I'd love to discuss some of the current projects that Pensacola is working on to becoming more financially resilient. You know, we talk a lot about yeah, think- strong towns that people sometimes hyper focus on these big projects and can get bogged down by these big visions. Well, and I think one of the things that you
1: asked about, because, you know, we certainly have a big project we just completed, but people don't realize we're 10 years into this. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think, you know, you can say in little project, big project, sometimes as a community, you have to seize the opportunity. So, for example, one of our big projects early on was getting rid of toxic soil downtown. Well, you might say, well, gee, you took on a big project. Well, if we don't get rid of the toxic soil downtown, it's pretty hard to do anything else sure. and moving a treatment plant. So um, but we, we covered, you know, one of the things we, we really look at real seriously is using infill. And I think we've had a lot of success doing things without new roads, without new pipes, without new poles, but taking current either buildings or current streetscape and really doing a number of things to add what we call the, the vibrancy to a community. And our whole goal was not to create a great, strong town. Um, our goal is to keep talent here. Our goal is to create a system where young people want to stay home, young people that left want to come back, and we want to attract some new talent. So our goal is talent. Our tactics are to create vibrant communities where people want to live, work, earn, and play.
0: Yes, and Quentin, it seems like you guys are making tremendous progress. Y'all noted a stat in the application, the Mason Dixon Quality of Life Survey, where you know, it flashed back to two thousand eight. Well, I think we've been real
1: strong on that. Yeah. My background in health care helped that we measure. So we created a dashboard of 16 metrics because, you know, some years are better than others, but we wanted to hold ourselves accountable. And Probably one of the best things we did because, you know, everywhere I go since my book came out, um, people will say to me, well, we have great quality of life. Well, if you do that, how come people are moving away? How come, you know, young people aren't staying? So we didn't know we, we thought. Some people thought it wasn't good. Some people thought it was good. Some people thought it was great. So we hired Mason Dixon and they came in and, of course, showed that I think in 19 and excuse me, in 2008, like only 27 percent of the citizens yeah. thought we were moving in the right direction. And today it's 63 percent. I think about 70 is what a city can peak at because we've learned you're always going to have 25 to 30 percent of the people. This are not not going to be there. And we'd have research that shows that. So I think measurement was real key. And I think you talked about projects we're doing today. And this is what's so neat. Once you get momentum built, people feeling good. And the neat part is, you know, we've raised our assessed property value downtown now over 34 percent. We've raised our investments downtown 67 percent. So now the big exciting project we're doing is we have a waterfront that over the years in downtown has been sort of put away it's been industrial hard to get to and so on so we do a thing called civicon we bring planners in for you know to help people understand this so we raise our civic iq we talk a certain language we have a right now we have a company called In, which is a water resiliency water access company that's really helping us look at downtown waterfront and how to really maximize it we think that's Even though it doesn't sound big because it's no big buildings, it's big in the fact that it creates more access to water, which we then think will create even more investments into our downtown with, again, not adding roads, not adding poles, not adding pipes, which is just, to me, pure profit from a tax base. That's
0: right. And a great example of that, you mentioned infill development before. You'll have this new mixed-use YMCA project where, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a smaller building before, and then y'all were able to create a much larger space and then it's much more tax revenue for the city. Is that correct?
1: Well, what it was is, um, again, I had I had these people come to town and a person asked me where the Y was. And I said, well, I don't know. It's up north of town and I've really never been to it. So I looked at it and it was really old, had not had any, really hardly ADA accessible. And it had been sitting there since the 60s in pretty bad shape. And um, so we decided, let's build a new Y. There was a one-story stucco building that the Pensacola News Journal was at with a printing building that wasn't being used. So we purchased that, which was about five acres. And then it was a block and a half. And the Y went on about an acre. Then we put a 15,000-square-foot, four-story. Again, the thing we got from strong towns is height can be good. It's the right height at the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put a four-story building there, which is first three stories are offices, all these first stories, a spa and a restaurant. Then our big push, then we had to wait. If you look at sequencing, you know, you program it, you get entrepreneurs downtown with the shops and businesses, and then you get office space. But it's really residents, but residents aren't going to come down if there's not a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And this was a uh, 258 um, apartment complex, and we created diversity because one of the ways we found it to create housing diversity is size. So there's all sort, there's 18 different size apartments in there from different types of ones, studio, twos and threes. Mm-hmm. And that's fully occupied. The parking garage is in the middle, hidden, and then on the first floor on a really a block and a half is retail. So we took space that had been getting $70,000 in property tax and without any new pipes, any new poles, any new roads, it's now going to be over $700,000 in property tax. And that's what is exciting. I think it's pure margin for a city.
0: That's right. Quint, were some of these developments downtown, were they inspired by that Mason-Dixon Quality of Life survey that you all did in 2008? Was this a desire of some of the citizens of Pensacola and the city- responded and made some of these projects, I think?
1: I think where the desire came is a little bit of that, but I think was more or less the fact that um, we had a group called the Pensacola Young Professionals Forum. And these were people that sort of wanted to stay, but wanted a better community. And they really started getting engaged and involved. And then we brought in Ray Gindros from Urban Design. And he came in and started educating us on, walkability and street diets. And he said, you need a great intersection. Every city has a great intersection. We said, where should it be? And he pointed to a corner that had two decades-old buildings. Like, you know, many communities have some landowner sitting on a building for years and two empty lots. And those two buildings were bought, rehabbed. And now, all together on that corner, there are 16 retail outlets. And Palafox was named, which is what it's on, one of the 10 best
0: streets in America. Wow. Let's talk more about Palafox, thinking about the future of Pensacola. so Let's fast forward 20 years, Quint, 2039 of March. Say you're dropped off downtown. We'll say Palafox Street. What do you hope to see, and what steps is Pensacola taking to make that a reality? I think it needs to be a thickening of Palafox. Not every th- but thing can be on one street.
1: I think it really needs to be where now you know you have the vertical growth. You have to have the horizontal growth. Mm-hmm. So We got one block over with. The what you talked about, the why, but it's really going west. And we're very, you know, one of the challenges when you have a poor community that's struggling, that has toxic soil downtown and a treatment plant, you have a, end up with a lot of vacant land. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of vacant land on the west side of Pensacola close to downtown. And I think it's really taking that and maximizing it. And there's two things we have to do, attract residents and a craft tax tax rate. Attract tax revenue. So, I think what you would see is we would be the cybersecurity capital of the world. We've um, attracted some good cybersecurity. They just, the University of West Florida moved their cybersecurity center downtown Pensacola. So, we would be the cybersecurity capital of the world. We'd have a buzzing town that would almost be like a, a, a diversity of residential, because I think you have to have that diversity of residential. Yes. And, and we basically would almost do on the west side what we've done on the east side, but it would be, you know, like any city, we are reformatting so it's much more walkable, much more walkable. And and I think that's really the key. It would just be a place where, you know, people would say, you know, I can't go to Prague this year or, gee, Prague or Pensacola, <laughs> to Pensacola because I've, I've always asked pilots you know I flow a lot I used to say to pilots where do you fly I go all over I said if I could only go to one city what should it be a Prague would come up uh-huh. at the time and certainly that's that's the environment you know we want to be in so it's you know James Collins would call it a big hairy audacious goal but I think that's been one of the things that uh, has inspired our community is you know we said let's be the best we can be but not just to be the best because we want our kids and grandkids here and I think that's the neat part. You know, we, we attracted Bubba Watson back to this community after he'd moved away, his wife's from Toronto, because they used to come here, and she didn't think she could live here. Then she came here, they were staying downtown. She walked around and said, you know, Bubba, I think I could live here. Well, Bubba now moved back to Pensacola. He owns a candy store, cool. and he has just donated money to the children's hospital. And so, again, that's a one of those success stories. But it doesn't have to be a Bubba Watson it's, it's that Ron Jackson, whose son-in-law was living in um, with his daughter up in Atlanta because he didn't think he had an opportunity in Pensacola, came down here downtown, said, whoa, I'd, I'd like to live here. Not only do they live here, but the Jackson's first grandchild now lives here. And I think that's what motivated people is because not every place needs the downtown. It depends on what the community needs. And I think too many towns think there's just one blueprint. I think there's. Pieces of a blueprint, but you always have to make it fit the character and maximize the
0: uniqueness of your own downtown. That's right, Quint. And you guys have done a wonderful job of that with your recent developments. I want to take a shift to a question that we received from a member. And listeners, Mm -hmm. if you're new to the Strong Towns movement, members are essential to the work that we do, especially with the Strongest Town competition. They're the ones who understand the work that we do best, understand the towns that are. Best implementary principles. And Quint, I got a question for you from Marlene. She asks, did the upzoning that permitted the intensification of the downtown site allow that new development by right? And I'm sure she's um, referring to the mixed-use YMCA project. And what barriers would be in the way of someone trying to do a similar project or a smaller project, adding value to a downtown location? Well, we
1: didn't really run through any real zoning issues. I, I think... Um just everybody sort of get it. and when it's how you design a building, it, it seems so big, but if you see it, it had a lot of different. we really on purpose, it goes from three stories to six stories. It looks different, different texture because you don't want it to look like some big old you know long skinny government building. No. so we're pretty lucky there, but I think we did a get a market research. We're a big believer that you do your diagnosis, and you know Chuck talks about that all the time. So we used a company Um, to come in and do market research and say, you know, what type of residential works? How do people want to live? And would they live downtown? And after that, we actually brought people in that showed interest to explain to them what urban living would be like. Um, So I think that's the challenge. The biggest challenge for us was actually financing. Hmm. When you're in a town that hasn't done a lot of things, banks don't say, yippee yay we want to be the first ones to lend you money. So one of the things we learn from ourselves and other communities, sometimes it takes some people with wealth on the sidelines to come in and help projects like this because the return on investment isn't going to be 10, 12, 15. It might be four or five, but the real investment is the quality of life you're creating for people in your community. So the hardest barrier you face is is truly the financing of a project Mm.
0: like that. Interesting. Well, Quint, I got a final question for you as we wrap up. What's unique to Pensacola that should capture voters' attention and encourage them to vote for Pensacola? Um, the fact that it's been
1: done truly organically, the yes. fact that it's been done with, I think, a whole bunch of, of people. Because one of the things we learned very early on, you it can't depend on the government. And the fact that pretty much this has been entirely done with, with private
0: people, private citizens, not depending on public dollars. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Quint, this has been an absolute pleasure. And listeners, if you believe that Pensacola should advance to the championship, voting is open right now. You can go to strongtowns.org slash strongest town. Voting is open until noon central on Friday, April 5th. Quint, thank you so much. This has been a joy and we'll chat very soon. Well, Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Again,
1: good luck to everyone that's on the Strong Towns. So, um, we're all winners in this because the citizens win. That's
0: right. That's exactly right. Quint, thank you. We'll chat soon. Thank you. Taking risk is a necessity for becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt.
1: Bill, 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 Bill. That's a start. (laughs) They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Morone, this has been fascinating.